Welcome to the Veterinary Project Podcast, episode 035. Welcome to the show created by vets featuring absolutely no pets. This is the Veterinary Project Podcast, hosted by Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light. Our resident veterinarians have swapped out their stethoscopes in favor of microphones to bring you the Veterinary Project Podcast, a show focused on real conversations aimed to connect this amazing profession full of remarkable people. Through the sharing of collective stories and wisdom and connecting over the many unique challenges we face, we invite you to join our community of veterinary professionals leading intentional lives. And now, here are the hosts of the Veterinary Project Podcast, Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light. Welcome back to the Veterinary Project Podcast. Dr. Michael Bug, Dr. Jonathan Light, another day. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing well, Jonathan. I always look forward to your intros because I don't, I don't know where they're going to go or where you're going to lead me. You say uh, that every time. I know, but that's because I'm always excited for it. Like, what's he going to say? I have no idea. But no, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Excellent. I am doing very well as well. We've got a great podcast for our listeners today. Uh, it is a busy time of life. I actually, uh, this, this is something I get to brag about for a change is I got nine hours of sleep last night and it was amazing. My wife had to wake me up this morning. It was awesome. I need that every wow. once in a while. Yep. Yeah. That is, what do you need? What do you need for sleep? Like on average? Seven and a half hours. That's the min. I track it pretty closely. If I don't get that, I'm in trouble. Yep. Hey, and you, do you use that aura ring? I do. That- yeah. For anybody that's listening, there's an aura ring. O-U-R-A. I've used it for, oh, it's been three months now and it is a sleep tracker, uh, but in a really defined way, looking at HRV pulse, um, your time in bed, your, your best time to go to bed. Uh, it's pretty darn accurate. Uh, they've got studies backing it up, etc. Again, everybody can say what they want. Um, for me, it's been very useful in ensuring that I am getting the most use out of sleep because life is chaos right now. Yeah, man, this is interesting. And this is totally nowhere near where we pl- planned on going in this intro. I have the, the Apple watch but I've stopped wearing it because the alarm setting on it is so, so violent. It like vibrates and like shakes my hands. Um, but I, I'm not sure how accurate it is. So I should check out that aura ring. Um, yep. It's more expensive. It was, it was an investment without a doubt. Uh, and you know, I, I've been chatting about it and the guys that I look up to in that space have had it for a couple of years. So I said, all right, I'm going to pull the trigger. And uh, to me, it's worth it. It's not a great activity tracker. So if you're looking for a Fitbit style, this isn't it for sleep specific monitoring it's great. Yeah. And I mean, it even, this is funny because this comes up in our conversation just briefly about just how important sleep is. And we all know that like everyone listening to this podcast knows, yes, sleep is important, but for some reason, it's the first thing we chop off our list, right? Like when things are getting busy, it's like, Oh, I can cut out sleep. Oh, I'll cut out sleeping. And it's like, it's the worst thing you can do. And I'm worse. I'm so guilty of it. Especially, I think in vet school, I was like known as all nighters, you know, like leading up to the exams. And in hindsight, that was the dumbest thing I could have done. But I agree. Like everybody's got family now or careers and are busy. And the worst thing we could do is say, hey, at the end of the day, I'm just going to go get stuck on a show on Netflix or I'm going to go back to work and do emails. And I do all of the above. And I know that when I do that, my sleep quality, as well as my sleep time overall decreases, and yet I'm my own worst enemy. And this is proven, right? We get to the end of the day, our decision-making 
capabilities come down. We don't have that ability to, um, you know, continue to make those hard choices. So you've got to, in my view, you have to automate as much as possible. And one of those things is, yeah, getting, getting that sleep on track. I, again, easier said than done without a doubt. Damn YouTube gets me all the time. That's too funny. Yes. And I like when we just go on these random, random uh, segments because they're, they're pretty fun and it's so important. I, I track my sleep and I can tell a good sleep and I like win the day, you know, bad totally. sleep, you're sluggish, you poor quality results. But good anyway. sleep, you get a workout in, you get your proper nutrient, like it all builds up, right? So welcome to the world. But this is also real world for us at this point. So hopefully we haven't lost three quarters of our listeners yet because... Today, we have Dr. Melanie Barham with us, and Melanie, uh, she started the blog, The DVM Project, way before we started The Veterinary Project, and a fun little tidbit before we get into her bio is we had already set up the logo design, we had got the URLs for our website, and then we went, oh no, there's somebody that's already got the DVM Project, and we went back and forth, do we totally change up what we're doing, and what I... Uh, and, and we decided not to. We reached out to Melanie and said, hey, this this is what we're starting. We have no want or desire to eat you up or, or be competitive. And it's actually, we've been waiting for months to get Melanie on the podcast. We collaborated last year um, for one of their um, big events that she co-founded with two other collaborators, the Global Veterinary Career Summit. Uh, and it's been great. And so today we're meshing to the two together. And at the same time, she's had us on her podcast as well in terms of discussion so yeah really happy to be making this happen yeah it was fun fun agreed so enough of us bantering back and forth like i said hopefully we haven't lost 90 percent of our listeners now dr melanie barham so dr melanie is a veterinarian a project management professional and is an mba candidate in sustainable commerce she has completed over 40 qualitative interviews with veterinarians who have made career transitions or made changes in their lives to be more satisfied in their careers. She's counseled many veterinary professionals in negotiations, shifting mindset, and changing careers. In practice, Melanie worked in equine sports medicine, completing an internship in California before joining a sports horse practice in Canada. Additionally, she spent time as a locum in companion animal practice. After joining the University of Guelph in 2014, Melanie has worked on an innovative surveillance program, as well as teaching in the Bachelor of Bioresource Management equine program. More recently, she has been developing market strategies for companies in the veterinary space and was one of three organizers for the Global Veterinary Career Summit. She's also the co-chair-elect of the USAHA Committee on Workforce Development, past president of the Canadian Animal Health Laboratorians Network and past co-chair of the Equestrian Canada Health and Welfare Committee. In this broad scope discussion, we talk about Melanie's early career as an equine practitioner and then transitioning that into her current role with the University of Guelph. And then we discover all of the career path or all of the additional education that she's taken on from her professional management designation to her current MBA candidate standpoint and really digging into what that's looked like and uh, it being not all glasses, roses, or sorry, <laughs> glasses full and, and roses when you're looking at the amount that she has done in her short career to date. Uh, we then follow that into the Global Veterinary Career Summit and future as it relates to the DVM project and what Melanie has in store. So without further ado, 
a wide-ranging, great conversation with Dr. Melanie Barham. Good morning, everyone. And Melanie, thank you very much for joining the Veterinary Project podcast. It is a pleasure to have you on. This is a long time coming for us. Uh, we've been in discussion to have you as a guest uh, for a number of months now and really happy that we could make this happen. Yeah, delighted to be here. Thanks. There is a lot to go through in a short amount of time. So I would say let's get started here. Um, tell our guests a little bit about you and uh, where you're at in your career today, because there's a lot of, uh, of knowledge that I think people are going to be very interested in today. Sure. Um, so I'm a veterinarian and I graduated from OVC in 2007, so Canadian Veterinary College. Um, and after graduation, I went to California to practice and do an internship in sports medicine uh, in equine practice. Then I came back to Canada, worked in a performance horse practice um, for about seven years in total. And um, then in 2014, I left practice and joined the Animal Health Laboratory at the University of Guelph. Um, I decided to um, take this really exciting and innovative role. They had um, received funding to for a program, a pilot program, for a new surveillance program. Now you might think, oh my gosh, surveillance, that sounds terribly boring. Um, but the but this actually was very, very cool. And I'm so proud of this program and how it's grown. Um, it really is about people and bringing experts together. So it really brings uh, groups of experts from each species, um, everything from fish to bees to cows and horses, and gets them together on a regular basis, brings the right data to make really good decisions about what's going on at the time. And, um, and then puts out high quality information. So I was hired to implement the program and work with all of our partners across Ontario. And then the program has matured since then. And it's been, I've been there for about six years um, working on that program. And it's actually grown to um, other, other parts of Canada have decided to adopt the same program. Um, so there's a Western one called We Can. And which is just that, which is just set up. And then we actually copied it from Quebec where they have had a really successful program there. So. That's been really exciting. Um, during that time that I left practice, I also um, got my project management professional designation. And more recently, my MBA, um, which I'm just so excited to be almost done. Uh, I have one more course to go at the uh, middle of May. So nearly finished. Um, and during that, I, I did some careers research on um, veterinary career paths, um, which I think we're gonna talk about a little bit later. And, um, and then in addition to that, I have started a, it started as a blog talking about veterinary career paths and how we might get there and how to use your veterinary degree. And it's grown into a, a career support business and events company uh, called the BVM project. And we last year did the global veterinary career summit, which Jonathan was involved with. Um, and it was just a really amazing um, and fun event to see come together as kind of a bright spot in, um, in lockdown in, in the pandemic. So uh, I think that was probably longer than you probably wanted to, maybe more than you wanted to know, but there it is. Just giving all of this knowledge for <laughs> us to dig into then. I love it. <laughs> love it. Um, and yes, as, as part of the early pandemic, you know, being able to be a part of the Global Veterinary Career Summit was fantastic and just the breadth and amazing uh, number of participants from across the world. It was really impressive how you put that together. And let's jump into that because uh, that was no easy feat. Uh, you had two other partners located around the world and 
I could tell right away that you're using that project management skill to coordinate (laughs) in a very short time period. Because how long from the time of inception till that actually happened? What was that time frame? Yeah. So I'll tell you the, like, so in, in the beginning of January, I was running my research project. I met up with Ebony Escalona, who runs Vet Stake or Diversify in the UK. She and I were talking about collaborating on getting more survey participants for this survey. And, um, and then we talked about getting together with, um, with someone else who was doing something similar in Australia. So we met on a Zoom call and we thought we, we really hit it off and we thought maybe we could do something fun together, like a cool se- series of talks or something. Um, and then a few weeks later, later, um, COVID lockdown hit everybody and we were, you know, all sitting at home and thinking, oh my gosh. (laughs) And, you know, there was a huge amount of unemployment, um, a lot of knee-jerk decisions being made around the world as far as, uh, employment. So we, we actually pivoted and decided, okay, we're going to put on a, a, we're going to put on a summit and it's going to be during, um, during this time, during lockdown, it's going to be virtual. Um, so it was 14 weeks from the time that we actually decided to start it until the execution, which is, Maybe and probably was pretty crazy to do, but it grew and it grew and it grew until it was because we kept think we kept having amazing people want to get on board like yourself and, and other people just saying like, well, that's a cool idea. How can I help? Um, so it ended up being five days of nearly 24 hour programming. So we had, so it was like just, we had four hours of dark, of dark hours where we weren't, where we weren't like having tech support and stuff like that, but it was really fun and really, it was just really energizing to see everyone around the world come together positively. And mostly I was impressed with the support that people gave one another, which I think was positive. And, you know, somebody would throw out a question on our message board saying, Hey, I'm looking to get into conservation. Does anybody have any leads? People from like all over the world, from Africa, from, you know, from Australia, from Hungary would be like, Hey, I, I did that. Here's how I did it. Or I'd love to help you out. Give me a, send me a private message. It's kind of, it's just really refreshing. Agreed. Especially at that time, like the energy, you could feel it. Even if we were just on computers and really hadn't met anybody face to face, it was a very positive energy about it. And if I remember correctly, right around that thousand people. Yeah. So it it was 1100 people who came in person or came virtually. And then since then we've had more ticket sales and more watchbacks. So it's been about 1300 people. And actually I would be really remiss if I didn't um, say the name of our third partner, who is um, Dr. Emma Davis, who runs veterinary careers in Australia. So apologies for missing that out the first time. That's fantastic. All right. So we're going to go right backwards. Mike, any comments on that? Cause I want to go backwards to come forward again. Okay. If we're coming back to it, cause I have, I have so many questions on uh, like project management and how you pulled that off. Um, but if we're coming back to it, I'll hold those for now. That's just it. We're going to blow through our 35 minutes. There's no doubt about it. So let's go backwards, Melanie. Uh, equine practitioner, internship trained. Did you have any idea when you left vet school, OVC 2007, that this was going to be your career path? <laughs> no, I think um, I vividly remember actually burning my chicken notes, <laughs> my poultry notes. I mean, like the only, and I can, I was probably quoted saying this, like <laughs> the only thing I'm going to need to know about chicken is 350 degrees, 10 minutes a pound. That's literally the only thing I'm going to ever need to know. And then here, you know, a few years later, here I was like working with amazing chicken experts and poultry, poultry experts across our province. And thinking, oh crap, what was, what was I thinking? This is definitely karma. Um, so no, I, I don't think anybody could have been more surprised, um, than me changing, uh, changing career paths, but in actual fact, um, so when I was in equine practice, 
I was always really interested in continuing to grow and, and change and learn new things. So, you know, I, I learned how to do acupuncture as an adjunct. Um, I learned how to do companion animal acupuncture and did that um, just for fun at, at the companion animal practice that our, that our practice group owned. Um, and I did lots of some of the, I did lots of management stuff, went to management conferences and I was kind of interested in project management because my husband is an engineer and he does a lot of project management and has his, his designation. So I guess I was thinking around um, that. I think the big, like the big crux came when I was uh, off on maternity leave with my first child and thinking, how am I going to make all of this work um, with hours and all of that, all of that kind of thing. Um, Cause my husband's job was really inflexible and there weren't a lot of um, jobs available to him outside of consulting engineering at that time. So this position came available and I, I saw it, I talked to the person who was going to be hiring for it and they just seemed like a nice fit. So I thought I'd, I didn't really have anything to lose applying. Um, so I did and, and I was lucky to get it. So from the time of inception of that thought of going, Hey, I'm on maternity or I'm having my child and I may need to switch things up. Walk us through a little bit about how that felt. Was there guilt involved? Was there excitement involved? And what did you do to finally make that choice of saying, I need to switch this up? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And this is the part that everybody always skips over, don't, don't they? They're always like, and then this amazing thing happened. It was fine. It fell on my lap. <laughs> um, no. So I think there was a lot of, um, I mean, it was a kind of a crazy time. Our daughter was very, she cried a lot. It was like, you know, she would cry for six to eight hours a day. So it was, a, it was a tough, it was a tough early, early few months. I remember um, you know, I remember reaching out to colleagues who had done different things. So I remember reaching out to colleagues who were working at the CFIA, who I knew had made career shifts. And I remember reaching out to people who were in equine practice, who were continuing to make it work with children and asking their advice and seeing what their thoughts were. And so I, I remember doing that. And, and then I remember thinking, you know, I just remember thinking around this position came up. I hadn't, I didn't apply to any other jobs. It was just that one came available and I, um, I guess I just thought, well, I really don't have anything to lose. I think I could do that job. It seems like it could be really like when I actually looked at the job description, I thought, oh, that's a, although, although it doesn't seem like it would be the same, um, like the, some of the things that I enjoyed about lameness practice the most, you know, the idea of multiple stakeholders, like I love rocking up to like a barn with 20 horses to look at. And like, you know, the mom's there, the dad's there, the farrier's got an opinion, like, some people hate that, but that's what I really loved about it. And being like, okay, I've got 20, there's 800 different ways to get to sound, get to a sound horse. Which one are we going to choose in this scenario? And how are we going to talk through it? And how are we going to get everybody on board and happy at the end of the day? And then also advocating for the horse. So to me that, and it actually is, that's really what I do in this job is figuring out what's the problem, identifying it, who are the stakeholders? How do we move the problem forward? How do we get there so that everybody's happy? Um, and so, yeah, I, I just, I kind of, I think knowing yourself is really helpful um, and knowing what you really enjoy. I didn't think, I don't think I'd considered it that way before. Um, but then when I was offered the job, I think there was this moment of, oh my gosh, like I'm, I've worked really hard to be a really good equine vet. And I really had seen a future doing that. And I, I had never considered anything else. So I really was like, what am I, this is very this is going to be a huge shift. And I thought, I, you know, there was probably some tear, there were a lot of tears. <laughs> there was a lot of like pros and cons lists. And I think in the end, I just decided to take a leap of faith and try it and see if it would work out. Um, knowing that um, probably the door would still be open to practice if I didn't. So 
if I didn't love it. So. Excellent. And I would gather that you had the support of your family and going, Hey, let's switch this up. Good for the family. Good for the career. Let's try a new endeavor. Yeah, we just talked around it a lot. I mean, it was a really hard decision, to be honest with you. But um, I also really, I think I really leaned on the support, and I would highly recommend this, like leaning on the support of mentors. And so kind of like, I always have a circle of people who I call, if I have a big decision to make, who are who know me really well and have known me for a long time, um, who have maybe worked with me and, and probably everybody did, probably other people do this too. But I just remember having some really heartfelt conversations with them and, you know, what talking around the challenges and what might be um, you know, what they thought about it. Excellent. Mike, anything on that part before I, I j- just in listening in, I, I really find it fascinating in the, in the veterinary industry, uh, the skills that we develop. And so even though tactically your skill set changed, like you went from examining lameness on horses and taking in multiple stakeholders opinions the skill is really like gathering all the data, gathering all the opinions, coming to a solution. So even though you're not looking at lameness in horses anymore, now you sit at tables with all these industry professionals. It's, it's kind of the same skill set, right? Just applying it different. And it's so fascinating. We talk to so many people where they're developing these skills and they don't realize what it's going to lead to. And then it just perfectly unlocks another career path for them. And I mean, we just hear this over and over and it's fascinating to me. Yeah. It's the knowing yourself. That's really key. Right. Because like, if I said, okay, I'm an equine vet, then you would be like, okay, well, like there could be 20 different people who are equine vets, but they love it for different reasons and they excel at it for different reasons. So you could be doing all the same, all of you could be doing the same work, but you are really good at it for different reasons and you bring different strengths to it. Excellent. So you move into this new role, Melanie. Uh, and something I, I really respect about you as I've got to know you over this last year is you have continued to grow. You have not stayed static in the least. So then you move towards your project management designation. Uh, was that because it, it sounds like in that uh, uh, initial discussion, um, your husband already had that designation and it fit within this new context of your new role that you thought, hey, I need to move down this and and understand it better. Tell us a little bit more what led you to that education because that's not a that's that's not a regular education from a veterinary standpoint it's impressive yeah there yeah it's an odd designation in Mm -hmm. some regards um because not very many people in the veterinary world have it although i think i've seen it more on job applications and job things now that people want it it's a preferred title um and yeah i guess i just saw how my husband's career really he was able to leverage it and really make use of it to um to do different things with his career and, and also just understand scenarios better um, and have a, have a framework to move things forward in a really constructive way. I had done some project management in practice with some of the management roles that I had taken on. Um, but I think I recognized that there were deficiencies because I just didn't know, I didn't, you know, there's things that you don't know how to do. Um, so I thought it was interesting to, to try it. And also, you know, for me, it was like a non-universe, it was a non-degree that I could do that wasn't, I mean, it was challenging to do, but it wasn't um, impossible. And it was, it's a lot of memorization and a lot of looking at systems, which is what we do as veterinarians. So the, a lot of the study skills we develop in vet school is pretty applicable to, to doing it. And I, and it can be a relatively short turnaround time to get it. So it's not, um, it's not something that takes four years to get. So I thought, why not try it and why not do it? Um, I guess we also already had all the study books at home. So I thought, why not? <laughs> why not? Yeah. Why not give it a go? 
So Melanie, can I, ju- I just want to jump in. I, this seems like a really ridiculous question, but in a nutshell, like project management professional designation, I mean, obviously it teaches you how to manage projects. Can you like really simply lay that out? Like what yeah. did you, did you come out? Like what skill set? how do they develop that? Okay. Yeah. So you basically, so the, to get the designation, you have to take some classroom time. There's a certain number of classroom hours you have to fulfill. So I took some courses to the university of Waterloo online. Then you, then you have to use some of the projects that you have done and share those. You have to have 2,500 hours of project management time. So you have to look at applying those skills into projects that you have done. So that can be before you took your classes or after um, and share what your role is and have them be verified by people. And then you take a standardized examination. So it's, um, you know, it's just like the NAVLI exam. It's several hours in a standardized testing environment. Um, and then you have your, then you have your, you know, you have your designation. What it actually walks you through though, and here's where I realize the value of it most is in stakeholder engagement. So a lot of projects will fail and have cost overruns and have unhappy outcomes or, you know, people not necessarily happy with it because they haven't done enough of the pre-work, which is what the project management group is really all about is like, okay, really collecting stakeholder um, feedback. So, you know, let's say, let's take a clinic renovation, for example, Um, you have lots of stakeholders in the clinic. You have everybody from the clinic staff to the the person who cleans the kennel to the front end staff, and they all have different needs. Um, And then you have the person who's paying the bill, which is probably the clinic owner or maybe the management group. And so looking at that, um, there's obviously some, some needs are more important. Some votes count a little bit more than others. The person who pays the bills ultimately counts the most usually, but those other ones are also important and getting, collecting that in, a, in an organized manner, understanding how different ways to collect that, particularly in the work that I do with different and larger projects, and then kind of moving through a process to move, how do, how do you, like, how do, you know, if you have a change that you have to request, how do you do that formally? What do other industries do? How do you do it in construction and other things? So there's, you can make it as formal as you want, or you can leave it as loose, but it's helpful to have that framework and understand. And it also talks a lot about, um, I think it really helped me with contract negotiation and, um, and being able to understand different ways that other, that you can get to an agreement, um, both understanding the fundamentals of contracts, as well as understanding the, um, how to get to different agreements, basically. If that makes sense. Yeah, it sure does. Yep. It's, it's, uh, it's something that we don't hear about in school. And yet in yeah. all three of our roles right now, if you're looking at the three of us on the zoom is very, very important. And it's interesting that you said, you don't know what you don't know. And I know for myself and dealing with multiple projects, there's gaps that I have in my education that I just can't see. And it sounds like a designation like that, uh, would be very, formal in, in formalizing that training to a better end for everybody really like that multiple stakeholder aspect it's, it's probably like any it's probably like any kind of community it's probably like any degree like you can you learn everything that you need to know outside of that degree you probably could study the books you could probably do all the things it's just a shortcut right it's a shorter way to get to the end so then we transition uh at what point in your last it's it's seven years that you've been with the university of guelph is that correct uh, yes almost seven yep almost seven at what point then do you decide, Hey, I'm going to go take my NBA as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, well, I guess I'm apparently when you put it that way, it makes me sound like I'm like some sort of addict to education. Uh, we might have a problem here. We might. <laughs> yeah. 
There was a um, little corner on her plate that was empty. And she was like, we got to fill this up. Um, you know, I think um, I talked about my employer at the time. They were talking about, you know, what do you want to do moving forward? How do you want your career to progress? And how do we do that within the university environment? Um, and so we talked about different ways that that could happen. So one of the great things about working at a university and, and lots of other large organizations is that they will sometimes sponsor you to do a degree um, or a part of your degree or what have you. So they did offer that. And I thought, you know, that's a nice way to, I guess, have, you know, you can never have ta education taken away from you. So once you earn it, it's yours. Um, and it's a way, I suppose, um, this is my boss, my boss sort of put it as like, you know, you could, you could take it as a raise, like it could be like we're paying for some of this. So, so it's kind of like getting a raise <laughs> that has a lot of work attached to it. Um, so yeah, I thought about it. And I just thought I, I was interested in business management and, and doing different things. And I thought it would be kind of interesting to, to explore. And if, um, and if it was going to be supported, then that, that sounded like a great idea. Um, the downside was, is that I got pregnant, um, right as I was accepted into the program. So I decided to continue with it, um, thinking stupidly that as a, while I was off on maternity leave, I'd have all kinds of time. <laughs> I have no idea why I thought that after my first child, but, um, but that's where, that's where, that's where it started. So I started in uh, May of 2018 and I was a few months pregnant at that time. So, and then I'm just finishing up now. So, so. There's going to be some that are listening to this episode and are going, wow, Melanie is an overachiever in a positive way. It's amazing how much that you've done in such a short time. I think you graduated in 2007, being a very competent, advanced equine practitioner, and now moved into a different subset of career in a whole different light, but using the skills that you've gained over time. Uh, Tell me how you discuss that with new veterinarians and or, um, you know, as we move back towards the global, um, excuse me, global veterinary career summit that you have, have co-set up with your co-founders. What does that discussion look like with new veterinarians or veterinarians that have been out for a couple of years ago? I could never do what you're doing. I could never achieve what you've already achieved in 14 years since practice, since coming out. Well, I think we're probably a profession of overachievers, aren't we? Um, one thing that I learned about myself doing the MBA was that, um, so usually in school, I think a lot of us are like, yeah, we have to get the A's, we have to do all the things. But I really recognize some great advice that I got from a colleague of mine, um, Julie Setlage, who works in, um, she works in the States, but I had interviewed her for the DVM project. And she said, you know, when she took her master's of education, that she recognized um, that when she started that degree, that good enough was gonna have to be good enough and don't let perfect be the enemy of good. And that's really a, that's really a, um, a phrase that we have tried to embrace in our household because you can't do it. You can't do absolutely everything. And there's a lot of things like, uh, I do not have a tidy house. <laughs> there is like, there are lots of things that I have let, had to let go. And actually when I was pregnant, I was very, very sick. I had, um, I was throwing up a lot and I had, um, I actually developed like a heart condition. So it was, I was sleeping a lot. And like, so my husband took up a lot of the slack and that was a, that was, you know, there was, it was a very challenging time for sure. So I just remember like, I just remember spending a lot of time laying on the couch being like, Oh, I feel horrible. Um, so I think that, yeah, I had to slow down and normally I would have pushed on and tried to continue through all of my courses and things, but I, decided that I'd made a really conscious decision that it was not 
a good idea to do that. And I put some of them on hold um, so that I could be with my son and just, um, you know, and slow down just a little bit. Um, it's still, it probably from the exterior probably seems still like that's a lot to take on. And it probably was, but at least for me, that was a, it was a really good lesson in slowing down. And I think it was a really good gift too, because I had never, I had never not done that, never slowed down or never like not just powered through something. And you do reach the bottom of your energy reserves and you're like, I, I cannot do any more than I, than I am doing. So it was an interesting time to reach the bottom of your energy reserves completely and then um, and have to make a plan from there. But it's it's a good exercise. It was a good exercise in um, how to do it. But I think if I was to give advice to a younger veterinarian, I think, you know, I, I did say I remember saying in practice, oh, I, I could never I, I could never do an MBA. I'm sure I could never do it. Um, and actually, the person that I said it to was said, I said, you know, wow, that's, I've never heard you say that. I've never heard like a limiting belief like that out of your, out of your mouth. I think you should maybe, maybe question that one. Um, so it was an interesting, it was an interesting conversation, but so, you know, there, I think if you're, if you follow your curiosity and then also, but also maintain your boundaries and, and try to try to remember to slow down a little bit, those are, those are helpful things. Thanks Nelly, for sharing. Can, yeah. Can you elaborate just a bit on the slowing down? Cause I, I, I think that's going to resonate you know, the decision power through or, or slow down, create some space, um, you know, like, like getting to that and then how it felt once you gave yourself like the permission to be like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to slow down and, and stretch this out and, and doing it for myself. Yeah. Um, so it was a really, for me, it was a very hard decision um, to not just push through and do and continue with my cohort. Um because I think, I think as veterinarians, like we have always pushed through, like we get to undergraduate, we go through high school and we're trying to get great grades. We try, we get into veterinary, we get into undergrad and we're pushing so hard to get into vet school and like be top achievers. And then we get into vet school and we are, although I think it's different now in vet school, you know, it, it is a lot of like, okay, well just stay up for 24 hours. Just, just push through this, like just push through these exams, just get through. Um, and yeah, at some point it is, there's two, you just can't. Um, so for me, like recognizing that, yeah, I, well, I mean, I could have pushed through, I suppose, but I probably would have probably would have pushed me past the brink of sanity. So, um, and I do remember like being, I, I, I decided to take continued on and take a course and my son was very little and he wasn't, he was going through like not sleeping very much. So I just remember being so bone tired. I could not even like I couldn't even function. Like it was just, I, I actually was, I think I went to the doctor because I was like, my hands are tingling. I don't even know what's going on with me. And I, and then in the end, I think it was just sleep deprivation. I was so tired. Um, and I had never reached the bottom of my reserves that in that way. So I just decided to, I decided to make that decision to, to put my courses on hold, um, and reach and not do the most intense ones when I was off on leave with, with, um, with my son being so little. And I made the decision to spend the summer with my kids and it was amazing uh, to be on that leave with them and not have any responsibilities or courses to do. Um, and it was very freeing actually. And I just felt, I felt really good at, about it. Although there were still moments where, um, so on my son's birthday was on his second birthday was the day that my cohort graduated without me. Um, so that was a bit sad. Um, and I felt like, oh, like they've all gone on and they're all doing amazing things. They've all done these great things um, since graduating. And I'm still finishing up my coursework for an extra year, essentially, or, or nearly a year. So it was a bit sad. But then at the same time, I recognized that 
it was still a one, like it was still the right choice for me. So I think you have to put aside comparison, which is um, not always easy to do. Difficult. So we transitioned and a hard transition to make, but when Mike and I were setting up the veterinary project uh, about two weeks after we came up with our name, not even, we found the DVM project online (laughs) and went, Oh shit. (laughs) Like literally what do we do now? And so then we dug into the DVM project and went, this is pretty cool what this lady named Dr. Melanie is doing. Tell us what the inspiration behind the DVM project was and where you see it in 2021. Yeah. Um, so when I so when I left practice, I got all these, probably because everyone was so surprised that I had left practice, I got all these phone calls from colleagues who were you know, feeling a bit burnt out and not sure what else might be out there. And, and just, I think they were a bit curious about what, whether or not I was happy in my transition out of practice. And at the same time, um, because of my role, I was meeting all these incredible veterinarians from just all over the world, really, and doing incredible roles, um, you know, leading big files, leading the world's, you know, from the OIE, leading our food safety for the country, leading climate change, leading all these incredible things. Um, and, and I thought there's, there's a real mismatch here. Like, how do we never know? I felt like, honestly, like I was looking at this field of unicorns, like where have these people been? These are amazing people who are making a big difference in the, in the world of animal health. And how did we, how did I never know about them or never, maybe I didn't pay attention in school or maybe we didn't talk about it. Um, so I just, I started interviewing people and asking them about what they did and how they got there and uh, about their journey through and posting them on a blog. And then from there it kind of grew into um, a, commu- a Facebook community and um, and then it grew into the Global Vet Career Summit and into career support for um, for veterinarians and courses about you know how to develop your career. Excellent. So now we come full circle, the pandemic hits and you have this opportunity to um, interact and connect with your other two co-founders for the Global Veterinary Career Summit. Um, Again, walking through the project management of that, how do you feel that running a large um, community as well as a summit such as that has helped? um, How do you feel that you've helped grow this community that you've grown from a blog into what it is now? How have all these pieces come together? Because it's it's really interesting. It almost seems like you've done this very consciously. And again, to the point of where you're running courses and, and teachings, et cetera. Um, would love to understand how that looks from your perspective. Yeah. So I think that um, looking at it, I don't know that it was necessarily consciously. A lot of it was, I mean, it's sort of maybe unconscious, maybe unconscious with a little bit of serendipity in there. But um, But yeah, so we have really looked at, I think the biggest thing is looking at collaborations and how you can leverage collaborations is the people that I met organizing the summit and the speakers and just the, you know, we wouldn't, you and I probably wouldn't have met um, if it hadn't been for that. And then meeting Michael and and a number of other leaders from around the world. I thought it was really incredible to see that come together. And it was fun and energizing to see all of that. come together and then it it snowballs and builds upon the community and creates a a happy and positive space where we can talk about veterinary careers and grow from there and then from that I mean really the courses grew from what our community needed and said they wanted so we're just about to release the negotiation course because that was the top thing that our community said they wanted um 
and kind of looking at what they what they want and need to grow and um, and make and make careers satisfying in veterinary medicine. Excellent. And if you had one wish for the joining of all of these different pieces together for the veterinary space, what would you, what would your desire be for all of these individuals that are now reaching out to you? What, what do you see as, as your, your reason for being? So from my perspective, I want our profession, I deeply want our profession to be different than it was when I graduated. I want it to be, uh, and not that it was bad when I graduated. It's not, I, I don't have a negative outlook on our profession, but I see the opportunities and I see that there are so many ways that we can be um, that we can be positive and satisfied in our careers. There's a million different uses for a veterinary degree and there's a million different ways to get there. And that's kind of the fun part is that there is, you know, you're not locked into one specific thing. You can always try something different. And my wish for the, for the veterinary profession is that I would play some small part in moving it forward to being a more inclusive space, a more diverse space, a place where, you know, we have a more sustainable, sustainable practices, um, and sustainable. And I mean, sustainable in the way that we, in the way that people are like in, in, in the people perspective, not necessarily from the environmental perspective, although that's important too. Excellent. Mike, anything to add into that point or into this form of the discussion? I have some questions. I'm going to bring those questions back up. I was laughing here, Melanie, Cause it just came up again when you were saying like, there's a million career paths and it's like, there's a, a million ways to get to sound. Like it's exactly the lameness exam again. It's just a different thing. Like how do we get you to a sound career? Um, so my questions for you, cause as every time I've met you and hearing uh, your, the global veterinary career summit, like 14 weeks, you brought that online. This is a crazy impressive skill. This, your project management skill. So what, lessons can you pull from that for veterinarians uh, in their career and in their life, you know, cause it's just such a, a cool way of looking at challenges. Um, okay. So I think that um, if you look at anything that you're trying to achieve, like a goal, um, I think this is trying to maybe what you're trying to get at or. Uh, yeah. Cause it's just your, <laughs> like how you tackle, like when I think, okay, we're going to do a global virtual veterinary summit. I'm like, I don't even know where to begin. Like this seems like a monumental task and you seem to have a way of, you just break everything down step-by-step. Step. Who do we need here, there? And then 14 weeks later, here it is. So I'm trying to like, what skills can we pull out of that to help veterinarians in their veterinary career and in their, in the chaos of life? Um, yeah, so I think that breaking it down and not getting overwhelmed is really important. So breaking down a project, um, having the right people around you is so important. So, you know, if you, if I was surrounded, if I was surrounded by people who were dead weight and not, and not useful at all, or not able, not, didn't have the same vision, then I think that's, that's really, you know, it would, it would be an impossible task. It would be. So having amazing collaborators is so important. Um, and I think getting clear on the vision first, and that's probably back to project management, getting everybody on the same page. Do we all agree on this vision and what we want to achieve? And it might look a little, and there's kind of, it looks a little different as you go along, but, um, but I think that's, that's the biggest part is getting all of your, getting amazing collaborators, getting an amazing team together and agreeing on the vision that you want to move towards because a vision is what's going to, um, really make, really make you excited and energized to work on something, particularly if it aligns with your values. 
um, and what you really want to accomplish. So I think that could work in a veterinary team as well. Um, you know, aligning on a, a vision, not just like we, we care about animal health, but like, why, why do you care about that? And what do you want to do with that? And then breaking it down into, you know, deliverables, here's what we have to accomplish, or, you know, looking at the outcomes, like, you know, any kind of conference that you design, or any kind of project, you want to look at, okay, what do we want it to look like? How do we want people to feel? How do we reverse engineer that? And so what are the steps backwards? That's usually how I kind of approach it, like determine the vision, get a really amazing team together. Um, and I definitely can't for GBCS, I cannot take all the credit for that, because I really feel like our two collaborators did, you know, they were equal partners. Um, and we all agreed on a vision. And then then we were able to sell it to like sell it as far as like, hey, do you want to collaborate? Do you want to be part of this? Um, and then working backwards from where you want to from where you want to make people feel, how do you want people to act? How do you want, what do you want people to have achieved at the end of it? That's, that's where I see, that's, that's kind of my process, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Well, with that guys, Mike, any other questions on that end? Because I'm going to switch gears here. No, I don't think I have any other questions. Um, maybe just a comment that came up a couple of times, even when you were starting the summit, um, you know, you guys didn't know it was going to turn into that COVID hit and sort of life threw you this curveball and you slightly pivoted. And I think uh, just being open and receptive, you know, and then you also said now you're listening to what people, you know, want and, and need and, and going that way, like with the negotiations. And I think sometimes people need to do a little more of that, like listen for the clues that are out there and then adapt. Sometimes we get too rigid where it's like, this is what I'm doing. And there's a hundred things telling us, Hey, just go slightly this way. So I think that's yeah. cool how you adapt on the fly. Oh, and I've got, I've got it wrong many, many times. So I have not listened to the universe and then it just hits you over the head. So you have to, you have to listen. It hits you until you listen. Yeah. Yeah. You keep being shown the same lesson over and over again. Isn't that the truth? Yep. Well, with that, Melanie, we are coming towards the end of our time together today. So we are now going to switch over to the impact round, which are a number of short questions um, of which you can answer in any fashion that you would like. And our first question today is, are you a cat or a dog person? Oh, dog person. <laughs> Although I have a real special, special place in my heart for orange cats. Orange cats. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even going into that one. Uh, true or false? I knew I wanted to be a veterinarian since I was a kid. Um, yes and no. I think I did want to be, but I very nearly went to school to be a creative writer. Yeah. <laughs> How would your friends describe what you do for a living? Uh, well, my son had a hard time believing that I was an animal doctor. He did not, he thought that was very, very funny. And then um, my daughter describes what I do right now as tapping on a keyboard. So, yeah. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> kids, how they bring out the reality for us. I know it's really great for the ego. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. It just slams it right down. Yeah. What is your favorite hobby? Um, I think riding my horse. Nice. And what in this world are you most grateful for? Um, this past year, I've been acutely aware, acutely grateful for my health and also for, um, for, uh, for our family and um, yeah, just being able to spend time with them. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, 
Well, Melanie, we are now almost at the end. Uh, for those that are going to want to um, look you up online, look at all the different projects that you're a part of, where can people reach out to you and what's the best way for them to contact you? Yeah, so I'm on um, Facebook and Instagram at, uh, at the DVM project and on LinkedIn, um, just look up my name, Melanie Barham and, um, and then via email, Melanie at the DVM project. Excellent. Well, once more, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, it's been a pleasure. It has exceeded expectation. I think there's going to be a lot of value gained by our listeners today and look forward to uh, seeing where your projects move forward and, and hopefully being able to collaborate with you um, on this great place, which is the veterinary industry. So thank you very much. Um, yeah, it's very appreciated to join us today. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Excellent. Mike, any final words? Uh, no, just thank you so much, Melanie. Thanks for everything you're doing for the veterinary profession. Um, I know you guys are going round two on the uh, Veterinary Global Career Summit. Uh, you said coming up in October of, of 2021. So everyone can watch, watch for that. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for your time and for all that you do. Thank you. As with all of our guests, uh, the final word goes to you. What message do you want to leave for the veterinary community? There are a million different ways to use your veterinary degree and a million different ways to be satisfied. So don't feel pigeonholed or don't feel like you're trapped in anything. You have so much choice, even if it feels like you're stuck right now. Um, you, you, have lots of, you have lots of opportunities available to you and just even taking small steps towards, towards being happier and more satisfied is so important. Thank you for listening to the Veterinary Project Podcast. As a recap, on behalf of our hosts, the Veterinary Project Podcast will be releasing new episodes weekly. So be sure to tune in as we bring you more conversations aimed at helping you enjoy a life well lived. If you enjoyed what you heard on the show and you want to stay in the know, please like, love, and or subscribe to the podcast on the listening platform of your choosing, as we're available on all the usual suspects. If you know of others that may benefit from these conversations, we'd love it if you please share the show with them, as this will help us grow our community to reach more and more veterinary professionals. Speaking of which, if you are a veterinary professional and would like to get connected with more like-minded individuals who are joining us on this journey, please send an email to the Veterinary Project Podcast at gmail.com, and we'll invite you to be a part of our private Facebook group. General feedback, requests for information, or perhaps requests to be a guest on the show can also be sent to the Veterinary Project Podcast at gmail.com. Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light, thank you for listening to the show, and we'll catch you again next week for another episode of the Veterinary Project Podcast. Bye for now. Bye for now.